One of my favorite stories is the story about the lady caught in adultery. You may say that's a crazy story to have as one of your favorite, but I think it's a clear picture of what the gospel is all about. And you might remember the story. It was early, actually, in the morning, after probably a night of debate on who Jesus was. And so the scripture says that the scribes, they were the ones who were trying to write down the Old Testament law so that they could keep it. And the Pharisees, who were antagonistic against Jesus Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees, they caught a woman who was caught in adultery. And the, the scripture says that they, they took this woman caught in adultery, and they took her to Jesus. And they took her to Jesus, and, and they said, the law says that we should stone her to death. You know, and I could hear probably people in the background chanting maybe, stone her, stone her, stone her. And Jesus looks at her with compassion. And the, the scripture says that, they, that Jesus got down on the ground, and he wrote, on the, on the floor or on the dirt, and he was writing something down. And, and then he looks up, and as, as they're wanting to stone her, he says, I want you who is out without sin, you be the first to cast the stone. So if you have never sinned, you be the one to throw the stone. And as Jesus was just getting up from, from writing, suddenly a stone came out of nowhere and hit the lady right in the face. And Jesus is looking around, and he's like, what's happening? He, he said, who threw that stone? And then he looked over, and he said, Mom! Okay, you maybe didn't get that one. <laughs> but you can think about that one over lunch today, okay? You may be saying, why is Pastor Mark messing up that story? Well, I'm not messing up that story. Because you know really the rest of the story. The rest of the story is there is no one that throws a stone. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, I, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now actually, there's a lot of debate whether that story was actually written by John. People don't debate whether it's a true story or not. People think that that did truly happen. Why would somebody add that story into the Gospel of John? Or why did John add that into the Gospel? Well, I think it is a great picture. It's a word picture of what it means to be in darkness. You see, the woman, she was caught in sin. She was in darkness. But really, the Pharisees, they were the ones who were in darkness. The Pharisees really didn't get who Jesus was as the Savior. They didn't get what, what the difference was between law and grace and how they both mattered. They didn't get that Jesus came not to condemn the world and to throw stones at people, but Jesus came to save the world. They were in the darkness. And so this morning, we want to look at what it means not so much to be in the dark, but to be in the light. But before you can look at being in the light, you have to acknowledge that being in the dark is a horrible feeling. No one wants to be left in the dark or be caught in the dark. Being in darkness is a horrible 
frustrating, messy feeling. I don't know if you've ever went on one of those, you know, to, to Kentucky or some different places where there's a cave, and you go inside the cave, and then all of a sudden, you got one of these hosts showing you around, and they think they're funny or something, and they just shut the door. And then all of a sudden, it is just complete darkness. And they say, nobody move, you know, and it just is completely dark. You can't even see, you can't even see yourself. It's just so scary and frightening, and you wonder, what's going to happen? And you're hoping that, that the, the guide remembers where the opening is so that he can bring light into the situation. And I've been in those situations before, and I've been scared to death. And I'm not usually one who is scared of the dark. Over the course of the last few weeks, I've mentioned I've gotten a little puppy, and I sort of take him out at night. And when I go in the dark, there are two experiences where I live. There is one experience in the dark when it's not too bad, and that is when there's snow on the ground and there's a full moon. Because really, it's not in the dark, it's really still in the light, because there's a glow, and I can see, and I'm aware. But when I sort of get a little scared is when I take the dog out at night and it's complete darkness because I sort of live out in the country and there, there, there's deer and you may say, why would you be scared of deer? Well, sometimes when the big ones are out there, I don't know. I, I know when my, my son Micah comes home, I remember one of the times he was home and he was going out our door and deer, a lot, a lot of times, they're right in our front yard and right in our driveway and he came running back in. He's like, there's a deer on my, at, my, at my car door, you know, and he was scared to death. And I know Mackenzie's come home, and there's deer out there, and, or there's a big buck out there, and she's just like, do I want to even get out of my car? But, you know, and then there's all this other weird varmints out there, from possum to raccoons, so I don't know what's all going on. So when it's dark, and you got a new puppy who, who's sort of a hound dog, and he's out there sniffing all around, trying to figure everything out. It can get pretty scary. And so sometimes I'm in the dark, and I, I'm scared to death. And it's sort of a word picture of what life is all about. Because nobody likes to be in the dark. Because when you're in the dark, you, whether it's a relationship or from knowledge or spirituality, you just have a horrible feeling. If you don't know what's going on, that is not where you want to be. You don't want somebody to come up to you and tell you, oh, this was really happening behind your back. You just didn't know it. I'm sorry, you were a little bit in, in the dark. You don't want to be in the dark at home. Find out something about your kids and you didn't know that was happening in your home and you're caught in the dark. Being in the dark is a horrible feeling. And how do you know if you are stuck in the dark? There are three ways that I believe will help you understand if you're in the dark, and all of these, I think, are very common. The first one is fear. If you have fears and anxieties and phobias, there's probably something going on where you are in the dark. There's actually a phobia, nyctophobia, which 11% of Americans have, and probably more than that actually have it, but they're sort of afraid to admit it. There's actually a fear of the dark. I also found out this week there's also a depression that occurs, and some of you are, maybe are going through it. We were joking around about spring, but there's a, a, a sort of a, 
a depression that overtakes you when everything is dark outside and there's no sun and there's no sunshine. It sort of depresses us. But almost everybody experiences anxieties and phobias and panic attacks. You know when they happen? They happen at night. They happen in the dark. And so if you're one who's experiencing a lot of fears and phobias, you know, you're probably in the dark. And it could be, again, it could be emotionally, relationally, spiritually. It was interesting. I just sort of wanted to look at what were some of the symptoms of people who actually struggle with the phobia of the dark. And many people think, well, just kids struggle with darkness at night, and they need a little nightlight. But actually, a lot of adults have phobias. And so here's one way to tell if you struggle um, with nyctophobia, which is a fear of the dark. Trouble breathing, racing heart, chest tightness or pain, shaking, trembling, or tingling sensations, lightheadedness or dizziness, upset stomach, hot or cold flashes, and sweating. I looked at that list and I said, well, that basically covers my life right there. But it is true. The darkness brings out all these fears and anxieties, and most of them just aren't reality. They're not true. So if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with worry, if you're struggling with certain fears, There's something that is going on where darkness, not the literal darkness, maybe the literal darkness, but some spiritual or emotional darkness is hovering around. Here's one that is very common to me, is whispers. I'll never forget when I was doing my internship uh, for for being a pastor, I was doing it in Elyria, Ohio, and we, we had the privilege of staying at one of these pastor's homes. But then there was a home out in the country. It was an old farmhouse. And we were spending the night there, and Michelle and I, for about a week or so, they were gone on vacation, and we were there in this old farmhouse. And I swear, every night when I went to bed, now I'm not one who sort of believes in ghosts, but, I mean, there would be this lady, and I would look up, And I would see this lady sort of standing over me. And I was like, this is pretty crazy. This is pretty frightening. What is going on? But what I have noticed, there's not too many ladies standing over me at night lately. But I have noticed in the dark, that is when the whispers get loud. The whispers that the darkness wants to tell me. No one likes you. You're unlovable. Even God doesn't love you. Your kids, you've done a horrible job of raising them. They're They're not growing up the way you expected them to grow up. And these whispers and these voices, they come in the midst of darkness. You don't measure up. You're, you're, you're the weakest link on the team. You're, you're the one that uh, can't lead. You're the one that can't understand what's going on and many of us struggle with these whispers another way to talk about them it's self-talk it's self-talk that is negative and it's a it's a false narrative that we we start to buy into and if 
You are hearing whispers, which we all hear whispers, and we're not just crazy whispers. They're whispers that the enemy wants to speak to us in the darkness. You see, I think the reason that this motif of light and darkness is so important is what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we finished up the Made for More series. Is that we are in the midst of a spiritual battlefield. There is a war raging. And Satan wants to to trap us and to have us caught in our fears. Because when you're caught in your fears, you don't move forward. When you hear whispers of negativity in your life, you don't move forward. But here's the third and probably what Jesus was getting at when he talked most about darkness. Is ignorance. To not know. No Again, none of us doesn't want to be that person that doesn't know what's going on. I'll never forget when I first started dating Michelle. Actually, on my first date, she turned me down because she had another date. See, I can share this story. She's working in the other level this morning. But, uh, but it was a horrible feeling to be in the dark because eventually my brother-in-law, who, who lived right next door to me, uh, Michelle's brother, and then my roommate, Uh, Steve, they all knew she was actually going out on a date with another guy when I asked her out on a date. And I just was like, when I started to find out about it, I was like, oh, I'm in the dark. Now, before you condemn Michelle, she was going to break up with that guy because I ultimately was winning. (laughs) And I won her heart. But you know what? Yeah, she shared at the, the marriage retreat, she, she chose me, which was practical, over romance. <laughs> and, you know, she met this guy who had all these roses, and guess what she did? She walked out on him. So, um, um, so she chose me, practical, good looking, but practical, okay? <laughs> but it was a horrible feeling to be in the dark. And some of you, you... You maybe think, oh, maybe it's better to be in the dark and to be ignorant about certain things. But ignorance is not bliss. When it comes to relationships, do you really want to be in the dark knowing what your spouse is thinking? When it comes to parenting, do you really want to be ignorant about what's going on in your kid's life? When it comes to to being at work, do you want to be ignorant about what's going on in the, the culture of your workplace? And most of all, when it comes to spirituality and having a relationship with Jesus Christ, nobody wants to be in the dark. Who wants to be in the dark with understanding God's word? People don't want to leave a message, which maybe today you'll leave the message and say, I really don't get what was going on. Because no one wants to be in the dark spiritually. No one wants to be in the dark and say, I don't hear God's voice. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks with the Good Shepherd. You see, the Good Shepherd, he speaks to us and we hear his voice. Nobody wants to be in the dark and say, well, God's not speaking to me. I don't hear his voice. So we need to understand how to tackle this issue. So here's what we talked about last week. Here's what Jesus said in John 6, 47. And these are powerful words. And there were words about the bread of life. Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
And whoever eats of me and drinks of me and whoever believes in me, they will have eternal life. And so later Jesus says, I assure you, I, I, I give you confidence, I give you hope, I give you a trustworthy statement, he's saying, that anyone, that's anyone who is here, anyone who is not here, anyone in your family, those who you maybe consider a rebel or a prodigal, some of those you consider far from God, anyone who believes has eternal life. Those who put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Messiah, that means he's the one talked about in the Old Testament, who came to save us from our sins and to offer a new kingdom, a new way of living. If you trust in the person of Jesus Christ and his provision on the cross, that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life, and you possess it now. So this is so important, and it's going to lead up to where we're going because the Pharisees were in the dark about this. In John chapter 6, and you go back and read it, four times Jesus repeats something very similar to, like this. But it says that those who were following Jesus, there were some who still didn't believe, and then Jesus says something radical. He says, one of the 12, Judas wasn't a believer. In fact, he was the devil himself. And then after that story, Jesus' own brothers were trying to convince him to go to the Feast of the Booths, which we'll look at in just a second. And it says that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. The Pharisees didn't believe in him. The people didn't believe in him. And so Jesus is sharing a radical message that is turning the world upside down. But this is an important truth that we all need to know. Believing in Jesus will change your life forever. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a moment that your life is changed forever. And this is where it gets confusing. For many of us, we don't understand. We possess eternal life now. Eternal life is a quality of life that we possess now. Another way to describe it is life. Another way to describe it is the victorious life. Another way to describe it is abundant life. A fuller, richer life. And so the moment you accept Jesus Christ, your life is changed for an eternity. Now, most of us think of eternal life from a, a, a quantity that we are going to die and then we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, that's sort of everlasting life. Jesus is talking about eternal life, a quality of life that we possess now. Michelle is reading a book for the Christian school um, it's called, I think, something like Teaching Redemptively. And how to sort of to buy back the generation that we're teaching now. And it sort of talks about what, what Chad has been talking about with the theme verse. That we're not to be conformed to this world. But we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we're to live different. And as she's reading this book, one of the chapters highlighted... 
that the problem that many Christians struggle with is that they don't believe they possess eternal life now. And so when it comes to the culture, they say, I'm just going to sit here in the culture and I can't wait to go to heaven because culture is just so dark and it's so frightening and it's so confusing. I'm just sort of almost going to deny that it even exists. And so I'm not going to be aware of the culture and I'm sort of going to deny its existence. And so many Christians, they're hoping for heaven and they're saying, I can't wait to get to heaven, but they're making no difference in the world in which they live today. And that's a form of darkness, because that's living ignorantly. But the second way that many Christians live, if we, we have come to accept the culture. So we have blindly accepted what's going on in our culture, and we accept it for our children and for our grandchildren, and we just sort of say, oh, well, that's sort of the way life is now. And so we have taken on the values and the characteristics of the culture we live in. And, and we don't see any need to be the light shining in the darkness. And what this book goes on to say is what Jesus is going to say in just a little bit. It says that what we are called to do as Christians is not to deny the culture or to accept the culture. We are called to transform the culture. And that's where eternal life comes in. You see, as a Christian, you have life, but you have the light of the world that you can take and shine in the darkness of this culture. And so, we're, again, we're called to go into our world and to shine and to let our light shine. So here's what Jesus says, and if you want to look in your Bible, we're just sort of going to highlight one verse. Again, I could be all over this. It's John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. So notice this verse. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I am the light of the world. There's a change. In the Gospel of John, and I would encourage you to read through the Gospel of John, and I would encourage you to circle the word believe. John moves away from the word believe, and he says follow. Notice what he says. Whoever follows me, that's sort of like anyone who believes. Now Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never live in darkness. Just like last week when Jesus said, they will never ever be hungry again, they will never ever be thirsty again. Jesus uses what's called a double negative here. And so he's emphasizing it. If you follow Jesus, if you follow the light, you will never, ever, 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 ever walk in darkness. This is a powerful statement. Because, again, my life story is it seems like darkness is all around. I wake up and I'm in the light and the next thing I know I'm in the darkness. And it's sort of like the cycle of each day. Yes, during the daytime, I'm all right in the light, but at night, I'm in the darkness, and then I start over again, and I mess up. But Jesus is saying, whoever follows me will never live in darkness. They will have the light, get this, that gives life. And here's a phrase, and I was sharing this at chapel last week with, with the students at school. 
And I've shared this over and over again. And I think Andy Stanley started it, but it's, it's not an Andy Stanley original. It's a phrase that is so important that we need to understand because Jesus is the one who started this phrase. And it's out of John 18. Here's a way to sort of help us understand it a little bit differently. Following Jesus. So believing in Jesus will change your life forever. But following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better at life. Following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better at life. You may say, Mark, that doesn't make sense. I'm trying to follow Jesus. But I keep stepping in the darkness. And that is a valid point because sometimes I wonder that. But then I go back and I sort of peel back the onion and I sort of realize, no, I think I really strayed away from following Jesus. Because every time I follow Jesus, and the main way Jesus says to follow him is by loving one another. He says, love just as I have loved you. And so whenever I'm loving Michelle the way she needs to be loved, guess what? I'm better at life, and I'm making her life better, and I'm making my life better. When I love my children the way Christ calls me to love my children, I'm better at life. The quality of life is so much better with my children. It doesn't mean that they suddenly react in the right way, but what I'm called to do is working. But when I step away from following Jesus, I'm suddenly in the dark. And you can take this to any principle. Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your emotions, whether it's with your relationships, whatever angle you want to take at it, following Jesus. You see, if you want to believe the promise that whoever believes in him has eternal life, You need to believe in the principle that whoever follows him walks in the light and they bring life. They bring a quality of life. They bring eternal life. They bring a better life to the situation. So here's what I believe that Jesus wanted the people to know who were in the dark. And this is so important. What did Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world he's trying to convince them that God is present now again I could go all the way back to Genesis the world was empty and void darkness was hovering over it and what happened God said let there be light when the Israelites were struggling and they were in bondage and they were in slavery and And Moses didn't like what was going on, and he kills another Egyptian, and he flees to the wilderness. God shows up, what? As light. And that's where he first reveals, I am who I am. I am present. I am real. I'm here in the wilderness with you, Moses. I am present. And I I know that may sound like a very complicated idea, but even young people can understand this. I think we had just gone through a death. Micah, our oldest, was about three or four at the time. 
And at that time, there was a movie out, The Prince of Egypt. Anybody see The Prince of Egypt? I'm dating myself a long time ago. And um, so we're driving by, and right where we live, where the church I attended as a kid, there's a cemetery on both sides of the road. And Micah started asking Michelle sort of this question, you know, how old is God? And Michelle's like, man, you're only three years old. Just sort of shut, shut up in the back. No, she didn't say that, Michelle. She's just like, wow, he's already asking a theological question, how old is God? And, and so then he was like, well, just tell me, when did God start? And she said, well, it's sort of hard to explain. And so I think she was trying to explain this eternal nature of God. And Micah said to Michelle, she's, she's like, oh, I think I get it. It's sort of like when God said to Moses, I am who I am. And I was like, wow, my son's going to be a scholar. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but he got it for the moment. And we can get it for the moment when God says, I am, that means he is present. And what the light represents probably vividly for the Jewish person, they would have understood this. Because you remember in the Exodus when they were being delivered out, there was what? There was a pillar of cloud that the Israelites were to follow by day. And there was a pillar of fire that they were supposed to follow by night. And one of the emphasis of the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire was to remind the Israelites that God was present in the wilderness. Again, when we're in the darkness, when we're in the wilderness, when we're struggling in life, it's so easy to forget that God is present with us. And Jesus is saying something radically profound. And again, the Pharisees didn't get it. They were still in the dark. Jesus is saying, I am. Which literally means I am present. I am the light of the world. I'm the new pillar of fire. I'm the one that you are to follow because my presence is real. But here's the, the second truth that we need to understand is that not only is the light of the world about presence, it's also about protection. One of my favorite verses, and I don't know if I've shared it in a while with you, but it's Zephaniah 3.17. It says that the Lord is with us. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in us. He rejoices over us with singing. And he quiets our hearts with his love. You see, the Lord is with us, and he is a mighty warrior. And he's fighting for us. You see, the pillar of light was a reminder in the wilderness that God was going to protect them. That God was going to be their protection. How many of you want Jesus to be your protection? And again, right now, if you're in relationship darkness, in spiritual darkness, in emotional darkness, in whatever it is, isn't it nice to know that you can turn to Jesus as the light of the world? And he says, I will protect you. I will be with you. You see, again, Jesus is teaching Old Testament truth here. And the Pharisees are struggling to get it. One verse, and probably a verse maybe you have even memorized, is Psalm 27.1. 
it says, the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We should not be afraid because Jesus Christ is our light. He is the one that is our protector. There is no reason for us to fear unless we're going to let the darkness take over our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts. You see, when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, he's trying to teach the Israelites something very, very important. That his presence is real and his protection is real. Here's the last thing that I think he's trying to teach is that the light of the world allows God's perspective. In chapel on Sunday, there was a bell choir that came uh, from another Christian school, Blue River Christian School. And one of the exercises they gave, or one of the, the plays that they did and the stories they told, was about getting new glasses. And basically, it was one kid who was complaining about everything in life. And eventually, he told that kid... You need to put on a new set of lenses. You need to, to change your perspective. And you need to start thanking God for all the blessings that he has given you. And so, for example, say, say your car, which happened to me the other day, your car breaks down. You can complain and say, God, why are you so angry with me? Why are you beating me up? My car broke down. And this is the third time this month the car broke down. Or you can say, God, I thank you for transportation. And I thank you for the ways that you've provided in the past. And I know you're going to provide in the future. It's changing our perspective. You see, in Psalm 119, which talks about the word of God, there's a verse that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It means literally that it provides direction. It, it provides insight. It provides guidance. And what Jesus is trying to say to us is, he is the guiding light. Now, if you read the rest of this story, and maybe some of you have been reading it through, you will notice that Jesus gets into a serious debate with the Pharisees. Because they're like saying, who, who, who gives you the authority that says you're the light of the world? And who gives you the, the, the opportunity to testify to yourself that you are basically God and you and the Father are one. Who's given you this authority? And what we need to understand that Jesus is saying is he is the light of the world. He is the center of the wor world. You see, our universe needs the S-U-N, the sun, for us to exist. If the sun wasn't there, you know, obviously... We wouldn't have heat and things wouldn't be able to grow. We, we would basically be dead in no time if the sun was totally gone. And the sun is sort of the center of the universe. Our lives revolve around the sun, S-U-N. What Jesus is saying as the S-O-N, the son of God, he needs to be the center of our universe. And the Pharisees were struggling with that because he was saying... He needs to be the center of your relationship with God. He needs to be the center of the church. He needs to be the center of all your relationships. And this is a new perspective. 
And whenever we try to put ourselves in the center, guess what? We step into darkness. Now, if you go back and you read this story, you will notice that John 7, 8, and 9 is basically about what is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it was celebrated every year, sort of late September, early October. And it was sort of like, sort of picture, sort of like our Thanksgiving. And they would celebrate their harvest, and they would be praising God for the way he had provided them in the harvest. But they also looked back and sort of remembered God's faithfulness. And that God's mercies were new every day. And they remember his faithfulness in the wilderness. And the, the way his glory led them and, and the promise of him coming to be the light of the world. And so what they would do, it was an eight-day festival. And what they would do during this festival is I think every day or towards the end of the festival, they would get this water from the pool of Siloam, which they thought had healing powder powers. And so they would get this water from the, the pool of Siloam, and they would put it on the bronze altars. And so in John chapter 7, and they thought that that, that would provide healing and strength. And then Jesus says, I'm the living water. If anyone drinks of me, they will never thirst again. And they will well up with eternal life, with running water. And so we have that illustration. And if the story of the woman caught in adultery is not really in John's letter, Jesus steps into the second thing that they celebrated during the Feast of Booths. They would take these candles, and I wish I could see a picture of it, but in the temple, in the, in the front of the temple, which could have maybe been represented as the back of the temple, they would light these candles, and they were big candles, the candelabra type of a situation. They would light these candles at night, and they would celebrate. It was also called in the woman's treasury, and they would celebrate the light that Jesus and not that Jesus is, but that God is the light of the world, and so that they would celebrate this. And so in all likelihood, Jesus is going into the temple the next day after the light show had been done. And so a way to picture this, this was sort of like a fireworks show. It was sort of like being at Disney, Disney World and having the Mickey's Light Parade or going to Epcot and seeing the fireworks show. This was a big deal, and everybody was so excited because you had the representation of light and you had the representation of water. And so Jesus steps on the scene now after the light has left and the candles have been blown out, and it should have reminded them of the time the Shekinah glory left the temple, Jesus steps in and says, I am the light of the world. And I am present, and I will protect you, and I will give you a new perspective. And I will never, ever leave. I will be with you always because I am. So here's two next steps that we need to consider. One is we need to flip the switch. I don't know what you've been thinking as you've been listening to me speak and talk about Jesus being the light of the world, but all of us 
somewhere we need to flip the switch. We need to say, it's horrible living in darkness, and we need to flip the switch and say, we're, the direct application is, we're going to follow Jesus. And we're going to let him pro provide the perspective that we need. And we need to flip the switch. Maybe flip the switch again in our marriage or parenting or school or at work. Maybe it's here at church. We need to swip, flip the switch. Switch the flip, I almost said. We need, to, we need to do it. And we need to follow Jesus. And here's the question that all of us need to ask. Is how can God use? How can God use you to light the darkness? How's God going to use you this week to be that light in a very dark world? How are you going to change your culture?